0: Thank you so much um, for a chance to just pause. For everybody here that's um, come up here to Mount Hermon to just be in your beauty, sit under your teaching, and be with family and friends. We ask that your uh, spirit would teach us now, uh, speak through me and through one another in this room. And thank you for declaring who you are, not only in, in your word and the scriptures, but in your creation. Give us eyes and ears and a heart to see and hear from you. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, so I had mentioned to a few of you um, that I went to Biola University, and then I did my seminary training at Talbot, and then later at Fuller I did a doctorate. And one of the things they teach you in some of these uh, Bible classes or, or um intro theology classes is that there's two kinds of revelation, two you know, major fields of revelation. One is called general revelation, and that's where God reveals himself through creation, and the other one is special revelation, and that's where God reveals himself through the Bible, or God can directly talk to you himself through his Holy Spirit, um, and so God either does this special revelation, like directly talk to you, or kind of indirectly through creation. And there's a couple, there's a lot of uh, Bible verses on this, but I I put these in your notes at the very top where it says special revelation and that's 2 Timothy 3.16, a real um, famous verse. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And uh, and and the verse right before that talks about you can you can be um, led into salvation. So God's he spoke to us through people in His Word. So if you say I want to hear from God, boy, one of the best easiest things to do is just turn to the Bible. And it's always good to get some training on how to understand the Bible. But um, the Bible is very uh, very good and clear and and. Um, it's a real gift that God has not only given it to us, but preserved it through the centuries. That's a whole nother talk about the reliability of the Bible, but we can trust the Bible. And then the second one, this other passage, it says in Romans, and this is about general revelation, how God speaks or reveals himself in creation. Again, a real famous passage. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse so God's telling us in the scripture like hey you can see who I am and what I do by just looking at creation and then one of my favorite verses and you could write this one down because I didn't put it in the notes is um, how many of you know anything about ravens the blackbird like they look like a crow they're just bigger Well, you're going to like to learn about ravens. Jesus is talking to his um, disciples, and he says this. This is in Luke 12, uh, 22, if you want to write it down and look at it later. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, nor about your body, what you'll um, put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. And catch this. This is Jesus. Consider the ravens. They neither reap, they neither, uh, they have neither storehouse nor sow, or, re- or neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Oh, how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? If then you who are able to do a small, th- uh, not able to do a small thing like that, why are you anxious about the rest? And then he says, consider the lilies. And again, that's a whole other sermon, Uh, because the word here, consider, this is what Jesus is telling us, the Greek word there is kataneo, and he doesn't say, just look at the raven and see what color it is. Consider means to study carefully. And when I was in college, um, I was a biology major, and uh, I had left this paper, a study on my bed, and one of my buddies he was in my room, and he he picks it up, and he starts looking at it. I don't know if he was waiting me for something, and it was this whole like twelve page um, research paper done on warblers. Um, I think it was in like a Michigan where this scientist for a whole uh, three different summers. Laid on his back under a tree studying the different warbler species, and some lived between 10 feet off the ground and 30 feet off the ground. And some of them, you know, and he told the different um, activities that did. And he spent three solid summers lying on his back watching these. I think there were 10 different kinds of warblers and described them in this paper, which to me was fascinating as a biologist. But my buddy was like, this guy laid on his back for three months studying these little tiny birds that almost look identical and he's, he's, he's reading their behavior. And I'm like, yeah, that's how you, you learn about them. You, you can't do it any other way. And Jesus is talking about being anxious, talking about worrying about the things in life and he says, kataneo the ravens. Study the ravens. Now have, I asked you, I wasn't trying to nail you, any of you, you've been disobeying scripture. Jesus said, study the ravens, and none of you have done it. Um, highly recommend you do this. And here's what's interesting to me. You know what they've, and you can Google all this. What's the smartest animal on earth? The raven. It uses tools. They do all these tricks to it, and it can figure out. It's, it's highly, highly intelligent. Could, you know, some of us think it's the chimpanzee or the dolphin or these different things. And maybe they're intelligent in different ways because they are very intelligent. But the raven... Jesus says, "Consider this." When he's telling us not to worry, and then he goes and says, and they're kind of—he doesn't say worthless, but like, don't you think God cares more about you than these birds? So the raven only has to work one hour a day for his um, for his food. One hour a day—that's how smart they are—and they spend the rest of their day having fun. They literally—if you watch a raven, I've studied him since you know getting into this—I'm like. They never work for their food. They're just like doing these games and loop-de-loops and flying around. They kind of harass other birds, but I won't tell you about that part. But the raven, Jesus says, look at the raven and you're better than them. I'm going to take care of you. How many of us, if we could get our living in one hour a day, would probably work eight so that we could make way more money? And he says, you don't even, they don't even have barns. God takes care of them. And Jesus says, study those things. And so he gives us the theological truth. He gives this special revelation, don't worry, God's going to take care of you. And then he points to the general revelation, like, look at this black bird flying around that hardly has to work, that just gets to enjoy life, and the Father takes care of him. Not only takes care of him just by providing food, but he's given him such an intelligent brain, he can figure out how to do life. And you're way better than the birds. That's what Jesus is saying. So if we'll put on a science hat just for the birds, and I'm not talking about birds, I'm going to be talking about trees. But that's one of my favorite passages where Jesus says, Hey, go back to your original job. I think Adam and Eve were, were gardeners. They were cultivating the earth, and so they were the original biologists. Um, so um, consider that when you're, when you're looking at creation, um, especially if you're, you know, for me, I love to be in creation. If you're having a hard time connecting with God, that's why I think this place, Mount Hermon, is so good. You can't escape being in creation. It's just crying out. It's so beautiful. Who made this? How did he make it? Why did he make it? And it's so calming and peaceful. So why trees? Um, I was, uh, our, like our church gets the, you know that magazine, Christianity Today. And um, so I get the emails from them and it's a really good magazine to kind of keep you abreast of what's going on and give you information. And and this email came across my desk and um. And, and it caught my eye because it was about, it was about basically an email to promote this book called Reforesting Faith, and if you're all interested in trees, it's this guy, Matthew Sleeth, he's a medical doctor that was interested in in trees, and his pastor unfortunately was like, oh, you're a tree hugger, don't waste your time, and he kind of took offense to that and then dove deep into trees and gave us a wonderful book, and it's excellent theology, and his pastor since repented. Um, but here's, I'm reading this article, this email, and it says this. Other than people and God, trees are the most mentioned thing in the Bible. I read that sentence and I'm like, what? I had no idea. I ask people that question sometimes. What's the third most mentioned living thing in the Bible? It's trees. There are trees in the first chapter, Genesis 1. There's The, um, the first Psalm is about trees. Um, and then the last page in Revelation is about trees. Every major character and every major theological event in the Bible has an associated tree. The only exception to this pattern is Joseph, who's a a big part in the Old Testament. There's nothing about trees in his story. And in Joseph's case, the Bible pays him the highest compliment because Joseph is a tree. It says he's a tree in Genesis 49.22. In fact, Jeremiah urges all believers to be like a tree, and that's the passage that we'll look at. And so trees are hugely prominent in the Bible, and God, in his word, is just trying to communicate with people. And so he does it through his own words, inspired um, of people, and then he does it just by trees. So we're going to look at some trees and see what God has to say, and I want to inspire you to to consider trees. So the first tree I want us to look at, and I'm going to kind of walk through It's not Jesus' last week. It's probably his last couple weeks before um, he's crucified. And there's uh, four prominent trees that pop up that I'm, again, when I'm telling you about these trees, I'm going to tell you about the biology of the tree. And so I want you to listen, you know, just out of curiosity. But then I want to tell you about the theology, what principles are being illustrated by this tree. And the first one, there's a bunch of them planted right outside the auditorium there. Um, You know, if you sit outside when it's really hot. Or at night, you're just kind of nice hanging out there. It's really great. Those are all, and those planters are sycamore trees, western sycamore. And we have a huge advantage. I, should, I, I need to mention this to you. Where we are um, in California, we have almost the same weather um, and even biodiversity kind of plants that they have in the um, Holy Lands. It's probably more like Southern California, but um, so we're actually more to the north like the actual Mount Hermon in, in, the, in the Holy Land. But you can, it's so easy if you look at our plants. We often don't have the same plants, but we have the same kinds of plants. We have really, really similar plants. So when you're reading about a Bible plant, we might, someone might have imported it here and then they go crazy because it's the same, you know, loves living here. Or you'd recognize, oh, like, like the, the lilies of the field, Jesus said, consider the lilies. That's like our California poppy. It's almost the same exact plant, grows the same way, does the same thing. So when you see a bunch of poppies, Jesus is saying, hey, those are beautiful. And why are they beautiful? Blah, blah, blah. You know, we won't say that. I'm tempted to. But the sycamore tree, they have those there. And the sycamores that are planted up here, those are planted by people. So they're not doing as well. They're planted on the hilltop. There's not much water. And there's cement all around them. So they're not, so if you look at those sycamore trees, you go like, eh, they're okay. This is a sycamore tree I want you to look at. Um, If you go down to Redwood Camp, that's where they would naturally be by the river, or yesterday I was walking in Henry Cowell, you know, the state park across the street, right by the river, there's huge, some of the biggest sycamore trees I've seen in my life. They're gigantic, and a sycamore tree has that kind of like puzzle piece bark, a piece pulls off, and it's really smooth, and they often grow laterally, even huge, and occasionally they get so heavy, they'll fall that piece, but we're going to look at the story of who? Zacchaeus. So Zacchaeus, when he climbed the sycamore tree, he probably walked out on it because they go like this, or he could get up on it because they, they lean over like that, and the sycamore tree, this story takes place in Jericho, and the interesting thing about Jericho is it's right near the Dead Sea. And so you wouldn't think these trees have to grow by water. They'll all, they're all throughout California in those um, like coastal valleys, that, uh, rivers that go out to the ocean. You'll see a lot of sycamore trees like that, unless somebody plants them and hopefully waters them. Um, but the sycamore trees like that, and they lean over. And so Zacchaeus ran ahead because he wanted to see Jesus. And then Jesus looks up and sees Zacchaeus and says, hey, I'm going to come to your house today. And then he went there and, and everyone was grumbling. If you knew who you were with... Blah, blah, blah. And these, these sycamore trees have to have water. And Jericho, even though it's by the Dead Sea, one of the lowest places on earth, there's tons of springs there. In fact, they call it the City of Palms because there's all this underwater underground water. And one spring that said up to 1,000 gallons a minute, which is incredible, even though it's in the middle of the dry desert. So this tree was thriving there. And as Jesus walked along the path, he was able to climb up. Oh, come on he was able to climb up this tree. And I have another one that I'll show you. These kind of look more like the ones down by the river. See how they lean over sideways and you can you can go up in that way. So imagine Zac- Zacchaeus is up there looking at this. But here's a principle that you need to hear. Jesus, the very last verse in there in the story of Zacchaeus, it talks about... Um, the son, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. So I make jokes on this tree that says, seek-a-more. Ha, <laughs> ha, ha. Dad joke. Only works in English. So um, Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, so he was seeking Jesus. And Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Now here's the thing about Zacchaeus. He was at the lowest place on earth. Literally, physically, the lowest place. Jericho, the lowest city on earth. Still, it's the lowest city on earth today. It's like 800 feet below sea level. Um, and he was the lowest person. He was a tax collector. He was the worst of the worst. So he was the worst guy and the lowest place, and Jesus went there even to find him. And he went up this tree that was in the lowest place but able to thrive because there was water there um, and able to climb so that he could see because Zacchaeus wanted to see. He was seeking Jesus, and Jesus was seeking the lowest person, found him. Amazing story of how the sycamore tree plays a big part there. Uh, The date palm. You guys know much about palm trees. They're a different kind of tree. They're a monocot, meaning they're like closer related to grass. They don't have rings. And that's a date palm. And the date palm is like, so Jesus um, healed, I think it was a blind person in Jericho. Um, So all these people are following Jesus. When he does miracles, it starts to get crazy crowded and and then he goes up to Jerusalem and that's where they, uh, uh, Palm Sunday, they have this big parade and they're welcoming him like a king because it's a real, it's a royal a tree. And then, you know, they wave the palm branches. And we have a couple different kinds of uh, palm trees. Some palm trees, it kind of looks like this. Um, anybody like In-N-Out Burger? So they plant these there and the palm goes out. Oh, I just red all of this. It looks like this. They're like... Like kinda like a giant hand. This is a terrible drawing. (laughs) But they look like that. So that's a um like a it's called a fan palm. People are gonna think I cut my hand. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, there was a murder took place in Youth Memorial. <laughs> um, but it's important. So this is a date palm, you know, where you can eat the dates off them. They have them in Palm Springs, and you'll see them around town. They're not they're not native up here, certainly, at all. But they were there, and um, thanks for that. That was great. So here's the thing. This palm is used in a giant celebration. So they saw off one of those palm frowns, and I did this in our church, and they're like 10 feet long. You ever watch like a college football game when it's all crazy, and then there's like one of those guys running around with a giant flag that's way too big, but if he runs fast, it's like, I don't know, how big is it? They're like as big as this whole wall. They're just running across, and the crowd's going nuts. So um, Jericho is a city of palms, so people probably walked all the way up to follow Jesus to Jerusalem because that's where way more palms would be. There'd be some in Jerusalem. But just like, you know, there's like fifty to 100,000 people in Jerusalem, and then there, so many of them are there just going crazy, welcoming in the king. And that's what the, the date palm, there's lots more to that date palm. But if you're waving these around, it's kind of like, you know, fanning yourself. It's not that cool. But for the king of kings, even though the people didn't really know who he was, they're honoring the king with these giant palms. And if you can you know, at all picture it, it's, it's almost absurd how cool it is. These big, giant, and that's um, part of the purpose of the story is told, not just by what we know, but by what that, that, that biology or that, that tree is designed for that purpose. It's like, wow, not only just for food, but we can celebrate the king with the date poem. Um, fig tree, you guys know there's the fig trees in the Bible, actually quite a bit. That's where Adam and Eve uh, covered themselves with the leaves and, and Jesus uh, cursed a fig tree. And something that I never knew about the fig tree until I studied, I actually had one in my own yard when we lived down in San Clemente. And uh, Jesus um, clears the temple. So this is right before, you know, he dies or he's crucified. And he goes into the temple and people are making money. And they're preventing people from worshiping God unless they do these different steps. And they were making it, um, the temple's a place, you know, it was like a business place, instead of a place to worship God. And so that made Jesus furious, because his whole point was to reconnect people to God. That's what his purpose was. So he, he sees the temple being abused, and he trashes the temple, throws out all the money, changes. You, know, you know these stories. But what about the fig tree? So he walks by the fig tree, and I'll look in that, I think we're going to look at, um, Matthew, Uh, Matthew 21, in the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry and seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it, but only leaves. And he said to it, may no no fruit come from you again. And the fig tree withered um, at once. So you see that story and you're like, what is that about? You know, it doesn't really make sense. Well, he went into the temple and he found no fruit. You see, the temple wasn't connecting people to God. It wasn't a place. It was a place to, people were making money. So he, he was saying, hey, you know what? God's going to meet with you directly through my spirit. And he was, he was um, really saying the temple has failed. And the fruit tree, this fig tree, had leafed out already. It was an early leafer, and so it should have had fruit on it. And he was expecting something to eat. And when he goes to the temple, he's expecting to see uh, people worshiping God and able to connect with God. And he all he saw was outward beauty. The temple was beautiful. In fact, they even had a gold giant fig tree out there, like um, made out of, of gold. And and the temple is just gorgeous. So it looked good on the outside, but inside there was nothing there. It's just like the same exact thing. He walks by this fig tree, and it's this beautiful fig tree. Figs, if you've seen them, they have giant leaves. It's a beautiful tree. And you kind of have to even look for the figs because they're hidden by the leaves. And he looks, he finds no fruit. And that's the warning for us as followers of God is if we don't have fruit in our lives, we're just an outward show. And the fig tree is preaching. This fig tree, it was, it, this one had to be a victim. It was cursed and had to die. But it was demonstrating, hey, you can be alive and not honoring God. There can be a church or a temple where we could be a camp that's not honoring God. Because there's no fruit. Because the goal of a fruit tree is to produce fruit. The goal of a follower of Christ is to be fruitful, not just to look good, not just to have your own life good. And fruit is not just good for eating, but it's good for reproducing other trees. Fig trees, preaching. Uh, Last one I'll go on before we get into our uh, redwoods one and creosote bush is the olive tree. The olive tree. And I want to turn to Luke 22. Now this is one, these other trees I told you about, they're interesting, I'd recommend looking at, but the olive tree, I would really encourage you, I've not gotten to the bottom of this one. This one is so loaded with meaning if you study the actual tree as it parallels to the scriptures, it's crazy. So the olive tree, Luke 22, let me get to that. 39 to 44. Where is it? Okay. So this is uh, Jesus in, uh, um, right before he's arrested. And he came out and went, as was his custom, so he did this all the time, to the Mount of Olives. So all these olive trees. And the disciples followed him. great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now, are you familiar with that story? You've probably heard it many, many times. You know, it's like this. If I was Jewish and I became a a follower of Christ and I knew the Old Testament really well, so much more of the Bible would make sense to me because I would know the backdrop. So as a biologist, as a botanist, when I'm reading about the olive trees, he's in this garden of olive trees where he regularly went, there's so much more to the story that I'm going to tell you that you don't know yet because of the olive trees. So when he's praying all the time, Jesus knows that olive trees, they grow up from a little shoot. They, they can live even up to a thousand years old. They can be really old, neat trees. But um, to harvest them, you have to beat them with a stick or you have to shake them with the machine. And then they drop to the ground and they're bruised. And then you have to smash them. You have to squeeze them, you know, like literally they do it with a, a mortar and rock, and, or some people walk on them like walking on grapes, and they have to be crushed. And so Jesus is constantly going there, praying, knowing this, that he's going to be beaten, that he's going to be shaken, that he's going to be crushed. And literally the picture that, that, that the, the Bible gives us and this is Luke. You, you read some of the other... He's a good doctor, so he, he cares about some of these specifics. He's talking about Jesus praying and, and blood is coming out of his sweat. He's being pressed, and it's right next to the olive press where they bring all these. They beat these out of the trees where he is, and he's been there regularly, and he knows what's coming. He's telling the, he's telling the disciples, hey, I have to leave so that the Spirit can come. See, olive oil, when it's pressed... It's, um, uh, you know, smash it. In fact, olives have a huge oil content. They're 50% oil in an olive. It's amazing. I think it might be the most of, of any of fruit. And so this olive oil is pressed so that the oil will come out. And we know that the Holy Spirit's talked about in that um, the anointing. You know, you're anointing your head with oil, or, or uh, Jesus is the light, and that's what they used for light. They burned olive oil. They burned it, and so Jesus knows that there's not going to be light, there's not going to be anointing until He's shaken, beaten, bruised, squished, and the oil can come out. Because we know, um, just days later, the Holy Spirit came and and not just um, lit up their minds and their hearts, but lived in them. And Jesus says that can't happen until I go away, until I die. You're not going to get the anointing. You're not going to get the oil. And Jesus knows all this, and the olive tree is declaring that. It's, it's kind of um, confirming what's going on. We, we knew the story. I asked if you knew the story. Yeah, I know that story. But now you really know the story because God's telling the story through these plants and through the process of he, he created a plant that would have oil in it, that could be used for light, that would be used for healing, that would be used for anointing. All these things going on at the same time. The story just makes that much more sense. So for me, when I study something like this, um, my mind is blown I'm like there has to be a God this isn't just coincidence you know I, I remember sitting in class in college and we it was an ornithology class and the professor was talking about how birds grow their feathers and, you know like the male birds are beautiful because we want the predators to eat the males <laughs> and the females can protect the chicks and I was like oh that's not so good But these beautiful birds, the way a feather works, the way the DNA works and it grows out, like this color of this feather has to come up this far on the stalk and then it comes out here. And then you look at it and it's like, like a peacock. It's crazy. If you just pick up one feather, it's crazy. But look at almost any bird. The complication it needs to be to be that beautiful, it's not just by chance. It's by design. And that's what I'm saying as I study and I look at these different trees in the Bible. I just have this thought, I'm like, I wonder if that specific tree is in there for a specific reason. Maybe not. But most of the time, if I consider Kataneo long enough, I find the links. And I'm like, oh, this tree is supporting this theological truth. there, So it confirms it. And that's God as a communicator revealing himself as many ways as we can uh, take in. So that's the olive tree. There's way more in there. Again, I don't want to bore you with too many facts on that before I get us into this one. If you have Bibles, I don't even know if there's any in here, probably. Uh, I'll read it anyways. Oh, I have it in front of you. <laughs> I made these notes. Okay, so this is, this is one of the best, um, pictures of what I'm talking about. There's a, um, I think it's four verses. One verse is the, the special revelation. I mean, it's all special revelation because of scripture. But one verse basically tells you the theological truth. The next verse gives you the general revelation says here's the truth in terms of seeing it as a plant or as a tree. And so I want to walk through this um, and and help you understand how this works. But I don't want you just to leave here going like this. Oh, I'm convinced that trees um, communicate God's truth and it's connected in the Bible. That would be great, but there's so much more. I actually want us to get the truth. I want it to affect your lives um, as it's affected mine, and, and, and or you can help other people see this. You can help understand other, uh, other people can understand God's truth. So let me read the first uh, two verses. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in the salt land where no one lives. Okay. So anybody know what a creosote bush is? No? Oh, one. Good. So I would bet that you all do, but it's such a lame bush, you don't care about it. (laughs) So when you're driving through the desert, have you seen that bush before? It's, it's just, what do I say about that? I'm, yeah, yeah, that's why you forget it. It's Kind of meaningless. And this is a great picture, actually. I didn't realize this till right now. So the creosote bush, oh, poor thing. It, you know, in a place like this, they probably get like a couple of inches of rain a year. And, and I went to one place in Baja, Mexico, Bahia de Los Angeles, and they get some, sometimes they don't get rain for three years. And these are there. So they can live on very, very little water, and they have these tiny little leaves. They're very greasy and oily. In fact, if I had to guess which bush was the burning bush in the Bible, it would be this one because um, they burn if there's ever any fire. There's no fire out there. Um, They're full of oil. Little tiny, tiny leaves. Um, Their roots are extensive underground, and the reason that they live is they compete Okay? And so their roots are actually toxic. And I didn't realize this, but look at all the bushes around them, they're all dead. So their roots get near there and they put out, um, you know, chemicals that will kill these other, other bushes. Because when it rains, it's like you've got to soak up all the water, because that's all you're going to get for a year. Or, you know, for, for a few months it'll rain, the monsoon season, and then that's it. So they've got these toxic roots. And so if you look, um, let me show you this other one. If you look, ah, oh, this one doesn't show it either. The reason you don't notice it, they almost look like when you're driving through the desert, it's, it's almost like a, like it's an orchard. They're like evenly spaced. They're all isolated because they send their roots out as much as they can and, um, to get the water and, and poison all the other bushes. So the scripture is saying the person that, uh, trusts in themselves, that draws things from their mere flesh, their heart turns away from God, they're like a creosote bush. And a creosote bush, um, as I've told you to bunch, it's basically, um, they grow really slow, they're isolated, they're toxic, they're on the brink of death. They're, they're, they're just barely eking out of survival. Uh, tiny leaves, the, the, way you, the phrase that you'd give them, that they're stunted, they're starved, they're alone, and they're very Selfish. That's what they are. They're just trying to get by, and they'll, they'll beat down anybody else they can just to get by. Um, they, they live a pretty miserable existence. In fact, um, some people have dug these up, and they've brought them to their house, and they water them, and they get pretty big. <laughs> they get like 10 or 15 feet high, and they're much happier um, when they're around something else. They do kill the other plants around them, though, so that's not so good. Um, and then there's a contrast. So the question is, is, where you're planted or which tree, the scripture's asking you, which tree do you want to be like? And the, the creosote bush isn't even a tree. Verse seven, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. So that's the theological truth. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green it has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Okay, so let's break that down. I know you guys have to know a little bit about redwoods, right? So I want to see what kind of knowledge we have in the room and I'll supply if there's leftover. Or there might be stuff, I don't know. What? Tell me about a redwood tree. Any facts that you know? You're all scientists now. I, I, uh, yes, so what does that mean? Yeah. So sharing their root systems, they, they communicate with one another. They share resources, so the sick one is helped by the healthy ones. They, the scientists, when they dig down, they can't tell which tree starts and stops. They're just crazy intermingled. Very good. The bark is fire resistant. Yes, the bark is fire resistant. So we had fires here a few years ago. You can I don't even think it's open yet, but Big Basin State Park, it ravaged through there. And the bark is kind of this, you know, what do you call it, like kind of softish a little bit, but and it burns, but it's tough to burn, but it doesn't burn so much that the tree dies. There'll just be pieces that burn, or if it gets struck by lightning, sometimes the middle burns, but the trees are fine. In fact, if yeah, if you go up there, they're going crazy in Big Basin, even though the fire, I mean, that was a terrible fire. We were here and evacuated. It was very hot, explosive. Yes, so fire resistant. What else? Anything about redwoods? Yes. So when the oldest one is either cut down or dies, the roots grow up in it a bunch of new trees. So they reproduce really well. In fact, um people that aren't from around here they you know, and we all love the trees but like gosh, they're like weeds sometimes. You know, like people that have them in their yard are like, "Oh, they're dropping stuff all the time. I want to cut them. But don't cut it down." You know, they they're well, this whole area was logged. You know, there's just a couple down in the canyon that haven't been and it look at it looks great. It's come back. They are very resilient like that. They reproduce well. What else? Redwood trees. What's that? Yes. They're between 10 and 15 feet deep. That's, you know, what's like up to that bar right there? Let's just say, for example, by chance, we'd let one grow to the top of that roof, like maybe 20 feet. That's the deepest their roots go. And the tallest, that's another factor about them, they're the tallest tree in the world. The tallest one's like 380 feet So that would be like this much roots for my whole body. You know, that's going to keep me up. And they're huge, so heavy. You know, those ones below day camp that the ground eroded, and so those fell, like, imagine the weight of those things. I would not want that. But they all, they rarely, rarely fall down. And their roots are only 10 or 15 feet because they're community. They're all locked into each other. They're all holding each other up. All their roots are working together. Very different than our friend here, the creosote bush. That's probably why he's so short. Got to take care of himself. What else about redwood trees? Or make some guesses. You're all scientists now. Yeah, that's right. Whole world. In fact, that forest is the quietest forest because their bark really absorbs sound if you go around like, I was, again, I was at Henry Cal yesterday. It's, even though there's tourists walking around, it's quiet, peaceful. Yes, tons and tons. They produce tons and tons of oxygen. In fact, I made that joke yesterday. I was walking some friends. We have some visitors staying at our house. And, and my buddy's like, breathe deep, Luke. I'm like, his son. I'm like, don't breathe too deep. You're going to get more oxygen than you're capable of, of, of processing. But yeah, they are a wonderful at um, taking carbon dioxide and changing it to oxygen. Lots of them. Great, great fresh air. They clean the air. Yeah. So they grow in in the environment, their best environment, which is here. You can plant them other places like, well, I told you I went to college down in La Mirada in in L.A. They had some redwoods tree there and they look terrible. (laughs) They require a ton of water. Um, you can't overwater them by the way, which is pretty cool, but, um, they have to hear like, cause we don't get rain for like four to six months, not a drop of it. And they survive on the fog that the fog gets on their leaves and they absorb the, the water up to um, 40% of their water intake is in the fog. Cause we get a lot of fog, um, without that. So that's why if you go further South and then if you go further North, uh, there's a few in Oregon, but mostly only in California It's too cold. They can't take that kind of cold. What else? In fact, look at the passage, see if anything that pops you out. Be like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. Doesn't fear when the heat comes. They are drought tolerant. They can store, I think it's up to 5,000 gallons of water in one tree. That's an amazing amount of water. And I was like, how did they figure that out? Because like, what are you gonna... So, they cut a piece out of it, they weigh it, and then they dry it. And then they weigh it again. They're like, oh, this is how much water was in it. I'm like, oh, that's smarter than me. I would have tried to wring out the tree. <laughs> Scientists are very smart. Leaves are always green. So, one of the things that these redwoods trees do, and, and you'll see pine trees do it, it's, it's, I would say it's kind of a trick. Like a pine tree's needle lasts for a year and a half, so it makes it through two summers. Because a needle, that's where a photosynthesis takes place. That's where it gets its food from the light. And so if the leaves fall off in the winter, like a lot of deciduous trees, they're not doing any food making in the winter. But these redwood trees, all year long, and like a pine tree, they're constantly making food and they drop their leaves, but the leaves it's on a year and a half, so they don't lose them all at once. They lose the ones from last year and keep the ones this year and grow some new ones. It's a really, brilliant um, design. Let me see if there's anything else we've, we could do. Oh, uh, well, I would said that they're the tallest. One of the things that, that um, serves them well by being the tallest is they get the most light so they can have the most food. So other trees will grow. Like when they, whenever they cut this all down, um, it was a contest with every kind of tree. And you'll see um, like a madrone tree. You ever see those trees grow? They grow towards the sunlight, and then they go this two sideways, and then they fall which is a bummer if it's over your house. But a red tree, redwood tree, is one of the fastest growing trees on earth, but it'll just go higher, 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 and then it just uh, takes all the sunlight, and the other trees can't live, and they get too skinny and weak. In fact, if you walk down the forest, you'll see a few other trees, but they don't look that good, because the redwood trees grow tallest and best to get that. In fact, they did a study, uh, some physicists said, what's the tallest a tree could physically get and still be alive, and they determined that 400 feet, was because they have to pull the water up to the top, it, you know, it has to suck the water from the ground to the top, and they decided 400 feet, and of course the redwood tree, is three, the tallest one we found is 380, and is that a coincidence? It's just physics, It's that's how it works, is the redwood tree. So as you're here, I want you to look at these four questions um, when it comes to this passage in Jeremiah. And then I want you to think about the creosote bush. Thankfully, we don't have any here. <laughs> but uh, you'll encounter them in your life. Um, and I want you to contrast these four questions and take these away. Maybe take a walk down by the redwoods because when you do that and you're sitting there, when you're doing that, consider, like Jesus instructs us to do. Like, look at creation. Go down there. And if you want another passage, Psalm 1 is a great passage like this one. So maybe take Psalm 1. Read that passage and then do this study on your own. That way you don't get my answers. Um, So the four questions are this. Community love or bitter isolation? Community love or bitter isolation? Community is hard. I love it when it's going great. But being around people, especially as an introvert, I get kind of drained and I just told you, like, uh, actually, he was the best man at my wedding. He's staying at our house, came up from Orange County, and they're going on to San Francisco, and they wanted to stay with us, so they stayed with us. It's been great having them there. I took them on hikes, and we've done all kinds of fun stuff. But I didn't get to watch the Warriors game the way I wanted to. I didn't get to eat dinner when I wanted to. There was noise in, you know, in our house. And so community costs you something. It's not easy. If you're the redwood tree that's very healthy, and you have this sick friend over here, you have to send some of your resources that you would have enjoyed. It's sacrificial. It's not easy. The scripture is telling us this. The redwood tree is telling us this. The best way to live is not like this. You can survive on your own in your own strength, and you maybe live for a while, but you're miserable. You're toxic. And so the charge that God designed us to do is to live in community. So that's that first question. Are we going to live in community love? Or bitter isolation. Even being at family camp, as great as it is, you're in a cabin or someone that's not as comfortable. You're eating when and what they tell you to eat. You're, you know, you're on someone else's schedule. There's people in life, you know, there's hassles to community. Yet you come back probably year after year because the beauty and the wonderful part of community is is fabulous. And so the, obviously the, the takeaway is choose community love. Peaceful security or debilitating fear. Um, the redwood trees are, well, I told you they're the quietest forest. It's super peaceful there. But in their community, you know, they, they provide this ecosystem where they're providing for a, for a whole, nother, whole bunch of other people. That's what God's called us to be, is salt and light, is, is to make the world a better place. And we get the peace of Christ. We don't manufacture this peace. We receive it. And that's because we know he's going to always be with us He says, he's always going to take care of you. Jesus says, you can't even do the trick of adding an hour to your life, this simple trick. I'm like, that's not a simple trick. I couldn't do that. Just don't worry about that stuff. Look at the ravens. They're fine. They're happy. They hardly work at all. They're not worried. So we have this peace of Christ or debilitating fear, which is if you don't know God, you have to run around worried and and competing all the time. Right, We all have to work hard and we all have to do our best, but there's a difference in trusting and really knowing that God is your God and he's going to take care of you. He's your shepherd and feeling like you got to do it all on your own, right? In your own strength is what it says there in that Jeremiah passage. So we have a choice, creosote Bush, or Redwood Tree, peaceful security or debilitating fear. Uh, godly dependence or fleshly independence. As C.S. Lewis um, said once something about like you know, the designer of the automobile made them to run on gasoline. Or nowadays, they run on electricity. And it's designed that way. And God designed people to uh, run on God. We're dependent. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? So anything of any value has to be done with God. And that's a, it's a blessing. It's an honor. But we can choose to try to live independently of God. And that's the creosote bush living independent in our own strength. And I, I'll confess, I do this every day. Every hour of every day, I do things on my own, in my own power, my own strength, and I make that mistake constantly because I'm in a hurry and I have my ways of doing things and what I want to do. And, and that's not the invitation. The invitation is God, empower me, be with me, and direct me, and I'm going to do this in faith with you. And, and I also do that throughout my days, but the, uh, the contrast is, is night and day. Um, Living in my own flesh or living dependent on God. And then the last one, hopeful abundance or oppressive scarcity. Imagine if this, I mean, it's a plant. I don't think plants have feelings or conscience or awareness. I don't want to take it that far, but I can't imagine this sense of this plant is one of like, oh, life's good. You get the sense that this plant is like, if it doesn't rain, I'm not gonna make it, you know. In fact, if you've been to the desert months. They look like, that one actually looks really healthy, but they look like pretty scrappy most of the time. They're like barely alive, almost like in a hospital bed kind of all the time. And that's no way to live is this oppressive scarcity, worried where my next meal's going to come from. We're in a drought now. We didn't get a drop of rain basically from January 1st through the end of March here. And it normally pours. That's why these trees are so big. And so we're in a bad spot. I don't know where you guys all live, but it's probably dry there too. You're probably less than rainfall normal. And maybe it'll go the next year and the next year. Guess which trees will be okay? The redwood trees. They know where to get their water. They're in the right spot. And the key about these two different trees, there's no water. And Jesus equates himself. He says, you know, come to me and you'll never thirst. Not only will you not thirst water will spring up out of you. He's talking about the Holy Spirit living in you and energizing and empowering you. And that's the invitation. And I guarantee you, if this creosote bush had any kind of mind or will and said, hey, do you want to live in the water? Yes. And as people, that's the invitation that God gives us. Hey, do you want to live by water, by this redwood tree that's happy and sharing and and in community? Or do you want to be this creosote bush that's toxic and isolated and just scraping by? It's, It's a simple obvious comparison. But I'll tell you, as people, we don't always choose right. And as people who know God, we get to tell people, this is when when I talked about this at our church, I said, so, you know, some of you commute over 17 that live here in Santa Cruz, and you're in in cars um, with people who don't know the Lord, and I'm like, you could point out a redwood tree. You say, let's talk about redwood trees. What do you think about that tree? And then then you get over to Los Gato side, there's some dry bushes over there, some chaparral-looking stuff. You say, well, tell me about that that scrappy-looking thing. You think people are like that ever? Like, that's a conversation that you can have because you're stuck in traffic. And I think creation is a way to talk to people without being pushy, you know, without, like, pushing your views on them. It's, it's just because it's God's creation. And like I said, most people love it. Most people are, uh, and they should. It's beautiful. It's great to be out in it. Um, last thing I'll say, and I want to read a passage here, It's in uh, 1 Peter. That's to make sure I don't go too long. Good timing. I tell people that when I'm teaching others how to preach, I say, hey, if it's time to finish, just crash the plane. You don't need to keep circling. We'll be fine. (laughs) Just land it. So I'm doing that. I'm crashing the plane. Um. It's in First Peter, and it talks about a tree. And our uh, the journey of God with people, the whole pathway is marked with trees. And and that's that's if I write a book, I'll write a book on this. Like there's trees in the Garden of Eden, and it goes all the way to the end in the Tree of Life in Revelation. And there's trees along the whole story. In fact, Jesus was hung on a tree. So we screwed it up in the Garden with the tree. We humanity. And then here's what it says in uh, 1 Peter 2 about Jesus. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. He continued um, entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself, talking about Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might be Die to sin and live, live to righteousness by His wounds. You have been healed. For you have, for you were a, um, straying like sheep, but have now returned to the Shepherd, overseer of your souls. And the key word that we're called to is to entrust to the one who hung on the tree, and entrust the good Shepherd. And say, okay, I want to trust you like the raven trusts you. I want to trust you like the redwood tree trusts you. I want to trust you like Jesus himself trusted you in the midst of an olive press and an olive garden, knowing that that was going to happen to him, that he was going to be beaten, bruised, so that we could be rescued. The stories told through trees. For me, it encourages me because it's affirmed uh, by trees. Let me close this in prayer, and then if there's any questions or thoughts, I'll hang around for you. God, thanks so much. Um, you are an artist and your creator. And uh, you even have a sense of humor in your creation. Thanks for telling us about you, for inviting us to know you, and giving us um, a beautiful, quiet friend like trees that we could pause and sit under and enjoy the shade and learn about you, even. Pray for each person in here that you would. Reveal yourself to them in your creative ways. Christ's name. Amen.